With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. HN Podcast with Miller and Dace. And Steve has stumbled upon an interesting item this week that I think it's worth discussing. And, and you know, it's, it's one of those topics, Steve, that's so nebulous. It's so hard to pin down. Just like right now, it seems to be all the rage. You know, who's the greatest basketball player of all time? Is it Jordan or is it LeBron? And the younger generation is convinced it's LeBron, and old guys like me are hanging on to the Jordan, even though with each passing game, I guess where I'm at right now is maybe it's better to have a Mount Rushmore than trying to define the greatest because of errors are different, et cetera, et cetera. But um, ranking college football coaches, and that one is just as difficult for a number of reasons because who's to say that even though Nick Saban has won a number of national championships that he has, that he's that much, that he's a better coach than Bill Snyder, who's never won a national championship. So this is an interesting item you came upon, and um, we're going to talk about it. What do you think, before we dive into it, trying to rank it in different categories to maybe account for some of those not all programs are created equal differences? Well, I like the approach of trying to flesh it out a little bit. And, I, you know, over the last couple of years, I think I started this in 2016, in my preview, I started factoring coaching rankings into the power rankings of, you know, because how I always do it is I have a few sets of power rankings and I'll put a team in a win range. And this is normally about the time of year I start working on it. I'm a little bit behind because I got to finish a book first. But what, how my process works every year when I do this, I start with a basic power rating. Uh, and and I, must, I go through every team's overall talent returning, what kind of recruiting class they bring in. And so it's an early assessment of their roster. And then I put a win range. Given what they traditionally play from a strength of schedule standpoint, I put a win range of two games, like seven to nine, six to eight. And then if you have a returning proven quarterback you get a bonus range so if i think your overall talent is seven to nine wins i'll move you up to eight to ten uh, if i think it's six to eight wins i move you up to seven to nine and then from there what i will do is i'll look at the coaching rankings and how i did it the last the first two years i included coaching and it was actually your buddy dave bartu at college football matrix that kind of convinced me to throw coaching uh, assessments into my uh, power ratings is if you if the coach is a net big game positive uh, or a net big game negative, what I would do is when I'm WNLing your schedule, when I see a game where I think the situation and talent, the situation either works against them or the talent's pretty much e- even, then depending on where I give them a plus or a minus determines whether I project them to win that game in my final predictions or not. When I'm thinking about doing this year, is fleshing it out more and coming up with three or four categories that looks at your overall body of work, then then a category that looks at um, what you did as a major coordinator or in the NFL, 
with you coached there because we've got so many coaches going back and forth now. But I, but, but I also don't want that. The number one overriding factor ought to be your total body of work as a college head football coach. Because just because you're a great offensive line coach in the NFL doesn't mean you'll be a college head football coach, right? So, so what I'm thinking about doing is having three categories where I grade everybody one to ten, and then I have a category where I look at your your body of work outside of being a college football head coach and grade that, or a, an FBS head coach, and grade that one through five so that it, it's a factor, but it doesn't outweigh the other factors. And then you know have another factor in there that says what your current trajectory is. You know, because if we were ranking greatest coaches of all time, I, I could make an argument Bill Snyder is, is the greatest coach of this era other than Nick Saban or Urban Meyer. But no one would hire him right now on, on a, if they had a choice between Bill right, Snyder and right. 20 other guys because of the current trajectory of his career. We all know he's on the downward end, right? And so I'm, I've already, I was already thinking about how to measure this better and so when I looked at this, the idea of putting them into tiers of different classifications of coaches, I liked a lot. I just really thought the way that they put them into their classifications wasn't very good. I would agree. Yeah, I think the conceptual the conceptual aspect was good. The execution wasn't. That's exactly the same thing I came away with from reading it. And I just read it a few minutes ago when you sent it to me to take a look at it. That's the first time that I saw it. So it's interesting that we came to that thing. And as far as Snyder and his career traje- trajectory, Dude, Snyder is at the Moses is standing on the hill looking down into the promised <laughs> land point of his career. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, come on now. And um, right now he's arguing with God. Do I get to pick who the who the Joshua is yeah, or not? That's yeah. That's really exactly. I mean, if they would have if they, if if the new AD would have told him last year, okay, your son can coach. I think I don't think Bill Snyder would be coming back this year. Yeah. I think he's holding on for as long as he possibly can to try and force his son as the head as his successor that's what i think yeah brian kershaval is the author of this piece by the way so his first category is elites the bear bryant tier first ballot hall of famers and he's got three names on this number one nick saban number two urban meyer and number three Dabo swinney and while at first blush I'm sitting there thinking Swinney, I mean the first ballot Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer already. Well, I think after this coming season's done, probably there won't be much of a debate about that. I mean Nick Saban, six national championships. There's, I mean his resume is incredible. Now that said, how was Nick Saban? And you'll remember this. I didn't look it up beforehand. How was Nick Saban at Michigan State? Well, the last time Michigan State mattered, um, they were 9-2 and two in 1999. Uh, they beat us when we were number three in the country. They had Plaxico Burris. They beat us in East Lansing, finished 9-2, and two, same record Michigan did, and Michigan uh, got selected to go to the BCS over Michigan State. And Saban basically saw, I'm never going to topple Michigan in this state right. unless Michigan does something dumb. And so L- he, you know, he, he got himself the LSU job. So when he left that Michigan State team, that was a 10 and 2 team. That was the best because they ended up winning that uh, Citrus Bowl. That was that was the best Michigan State team till the from the D'Antonio era uh, since probably the 87 Lorenzo White Rose okay. Bowl winning team. Okay. So, so he so did he, pretty good with yeah. building that program. Yeah, good good bona fides there. So because uh, I like to look for ways to knock him down cuz I just don't like him as a person. 
after you know okay. firsthand witnessing how he threw that guy under the bus in the press room after the Outback Bowl when he was on his way to the Dolphins to make millions. I've never liked him, and I've rooted against him ever since in a sporting sense. Um, but but I will say this, and, and I, I listen. Saban's number one on this list. You're a fool to try to argue differently. I. Because I want to twist this around and say, if I if I got one guy in one game that I want to be a coach going into one game to win that one game, who'd be my guy? And after last year's national championship game, I'm not so sure I wouldn't have Nick Saban for that either. Because the move that he made coming out of the locker room at halftime to go to the backup quarterback is one of the biggest, one of the most gutsy coaching decisions in the history of organized sport, in my opinion. Well, I love this this idea of tearing people elite by Bear Bryant standards, okay? And if you go back and look in when Bear Bryant coached, and this is going to sound like I am denigrating arguably the all-time greatest legend in our sport. I'm not. I'm simply saying you can't really compare Babe Ruth to, you know, uh, guys of today because it's a different caliber of athlete. It's just a different sport. And you know, if you look at the SEC, when Bear Bryant was coaching, I think I went back and looked from like 1967 to um, 1980. The SEC didn't win. The only there was no other team in the SEC that won a national championship um, other than Alabama. And the team and the, and the only actually it's 1965 to 1980. And the only other team that was in there was Arkansas, who wasn't in the SEC at the time, but is now. Okay, they were a Southwest Conference team then. You know, then you had Georgia won it in 1980, but, you know, he was sort of on the downhill side of his career. He retired in 1982. The point is, the SEC Bear Bryant coached in right. is not the SEC that it is today. It's not right. even close. Yep. I mean, Nick, Nick Saban is dominating a league where the first team ever ranked number one in the history of the college football playoff rankings was Mississippi State, all right? Bear, and when Bear Bryant coached, Mississippi State might have been just might have called themselves Speed Bump U. They were there. The, the practices at Alabama leading up to the Mississippi State game were tougher than the Mississippi State game. So it's a totally different era that Saban is just absolutely dominating. You look at Urban Meyer. He's got three national championships, two at Florida, one at, at uh, Ohio State. You look at the at the 12 and 0 undefeated season at Utah. You look at his record as an underdog against the spread as the best in the sport. I, and I'm, I don't have a problem with Dabo Sweeney being in this tier because I also think after this season there won't be any doubt about it. What I what I do have a problem with though, <clears throat> if you're only picking three coaches, then he doesn't belong in this tier. And here's why: because Saban and and Meyer showed that they could do this even when they didn't just get their harmonic convergence yes. at the big school yes. with their own in-state recruiting you know, stockpile, okay? They've done it at multiple stops. Dabo Sweeney, and I give, no, I give him a lot of credit, man. It wasn't too long ago when you and I were doing a morning show together that Clemson was a freaking bird. He, he's changed the whole culture around that. That notwithstanding, though, We've never seen what can he do if he had to go somewhere else and build something else. We've seen that with Saban and Meyer. And so my argument with this tier, John, would be if you're only going to put if, – if, if it's only three coaches, then Sweeney doesn't belong in it. But who does over now, Sweeney? Now, I do, think, I, I, I do think he's an elite coach, but I think there should be more coaches in there. 
All right. I mean, I, you, you, I mean, I, I think there's several first ballot Hall of Famers. I think Mark D'Antonio is a first ballot Hall of Famer. There's no doubt. Example. There's no doubt. I think Bill Snyder is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, if I we're think if we're gonna if we're, yeah, if we're gonna call it that, I mean, later on, and we'll get to there. You know, uh, what's the the Howard Schnellenberger tier program builders award, and, and he's got Snyder at number one, but that almost minimizes in my opinion, or takes away from how great of a football coach Snyder is. If we're going to call this the first ballot Hall of Famers tier, then let's let's have the first ballot Hall of Famers. Agreed. And, and you're right. Mark D'Antonio, he's on it. It's done. You have to have at least a 600% winning percentage. To that, That's one of the barriers to entry, which is why Kirk Ferentz, I think his resume – is is a Hall of Fame college football Hall of Fame status, but I don't know if Iowa's at the or, or the the winning percentage level required. I think he's really, really, really close. Um, Bill Snyder, it's not even a debate. I mean, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, and I, you know there are probably a few more guys on this list that we'll get to later on that will be as well. So I agree. This is the methodology part of this write up I don't like because the next tier is called. The Steve Spurrier tier blue blood champions. I mean, this tier is ridiculous. This is stupid. I'm just say it right now. It's dumb. Yeah. I mean, he's got Jimbo Fisher number one, James Franklin number two, Chip Kelly three, Kirby Smart four, and Lincoln freaking Riley fifth. Dude, I, I really. The only reason I kept reading after this point is because I wanted to see where Kirk Ferentz's name was on it. Because this just this this just is like you just peed all you you ruin this. Why do this? This is a stupid thing to do. Well, let's look at this tier one by one. Let's start with Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo Fisher, I think, went twenty eight and one with Jameis Winston, maybe the best freshman quarterback in the history of college football as a redshirt freshman. That team that he had in twenty thirteen wasn't challenged all season long until they had to come from behind to beat Auburn in the national championship game. But they just – remember that night game they had against Clemson where they were both in the top ten? And they went into Happy Valley and just freaking named the score on them, okay? That that 2013 team he had is up there with some of the best teams Pete Carroll had at USC in terms of some of the – one of the best teams of the last 15 years in college football. One of the – I'd say, you know, Miami's 2001 team, is, in my opinion, is the best team of the modern era. And and so I always rank every team in the modern... Well, maybe the current era is the way I would say it, because we could debate what's modern era mean. In the current era. And so I always rank great teams in this current era by that 0-1 Miami team. And that 2013 Florida State team would be, in, in, would be really high on that list. The next year they bring Jameis Winston back, they go undefeated again until they lose to Oregon in the, in the national semifinal. Why do I bring that up? Because he went 28-1 with the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. And he's had two other first-round quarterbacks as well. Two of, the, two of his other quarterbacks at Florida State went in the first round, too. Do you know what his winning percentage is without Jameis Winston? No. It's like seven, it's 70%. That's still really good, okay? Well, That's not yeah, an 50, elite winning 50, Yeah, 55 and 22. That's not an elite winning percentage. And so I think I, I hate to, I, I, I think the jury is still out on Jimbo Fisher here. And that's why I think it's cool that he went to Texas A&M, because that's been a program. I think they've had one season in the 21st century 
where they won double-digit games in the regular season. And that was Johnny Manziel's Heisman Trophy season in 2012. Okay? And so this is a program that has every advantage you'd ever want, but over the last 20 years has not won at a very high level. So well, the, the jury, we will, get a, we will get a verdict on Jimbo Fisher for certain. But, there, but his resume does not indicate it's pristine. You look at James Franklin. If he'd not hired – where was James Franklin before he hired Joe Moorhead, John? Where was he? On the uh, hot seat, yeah, bro. he was languishing. Remember that game Michigan beat him 49-7 to or whatever it was? And he called a timeout to try and kick a field goal on – Yes, that was embarrassing. He was worried about getting shut out. They were – before they won that game in the whiteout against Ohio State, there was talk he was canned. Joe Moorhead basically saved his job. So now Joe Moorhead is gone. Now the greatest player Penn State's had since LeVar Arrington is gone. They lost their All-American tight end. They lost their top five tacklers. They lost their number one number one wide receiver. Let's see. Now, I, I think he's a pretty good coach. I mean, you look at what he did at Vanderbilt. You're winning nine games a year at Vanderbilt, dude. That's freaking, you know. That's Ron Burgundy, the balls kind of stuff. So I think he's a pretty good coach. But I, but, but let's see what he can do before we put him in this tier here. You look at Chip Kelly at UCLA. You look at what he did at Oregon, obviously. That record speaks for itself. You're also talking about a guy that basically lost his college coaching career before because he paid thousands of dollars to a fake recruiting guru who didn't who to get him players that didn't actually exist. All right, so... Then he went to the NFL and he flamed out. Now, I think he was the best hire of the offseason. I predicted in my preview last July he would be the new coach at UCLA, and he is. Now, but here's the thing with UCLA. I think they have finished in the top 25 in the final rankings one time in the 21st century. So let's see see if he can build that back up. Uh, You look at Kirby Smart. They were really good last year. His first year, they went 8-5. and I mean, everybody's talking, Jim Harbaugh sucks. He went eight and five. Okay, I'm fine with you ripping Harbaugh for going eight and five. You're probably not going to rip him more than me. I care more than probably most of the people listening to this does. But you can't tell me Harbaugh sucks. Harbaugh went, took a team to the Super Bowl and sucks now because he went eight and five. But a guy who's coached in college football two years, John, two years. And one of those years, they went eight and five. He's in the elite tier. Can you explain that to me, John? That makes no sense to me at all. Well, it only not- gets worse from here. And then Lincoln Riley, what did he do? Literally had Bob Stoops wait until June after his longevity bonus, go all the way through spring, so he so they so he can essentially handpick his successor and keep his brother as the defensive coordinator, handing him a guy who had already been Heisman Trophy finalist twice as a starting quarterback in a league that plays no defense where they have just I think Oklahoma has more Big Twelve championships than home losses in the Bob Stoops era. How's that for a stat? Can you believe that? <laughs> no. They won the league more times than he lost at home. And he just hands him this team loaded with offensive line and all this talent and says, all right, go get him. And he does a great job, okay? He did better. I thought there'd be more of a fall off. So I was wrong about that. But this idea that he's he's in this tier, he's ahead of D'Antonio and some of these guys we're going to mention, are you freaking kidding me? We've never seen Lincoln Riley build anything. Period. Nothing. I, I didn't get this category at all. The only I I'm okay with it. I get I'm okay. See, I would actually be okay with putting Jimbo Fisher in the elite category. I'd be okay with putting Chip Kelly in the elite category. But but given the methodology this writer uses for this, 
the way he put him in categories makes no sense at all. Uh, no. Next up is the proven winners. It's called the Barry Alvarez tier. Success at the Power Five level. This just sounds like everybody needs a trophy time. Um, number one ahead of this list, Gary Patterson. Gary Patterson. If I'm going to sit down and rank, you know, pick the 20 who I think are the 20 best college football coaches, Gary Patterson's on the list, and he's 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 higher than some names that we just mentioned. Chris Peterson's at two on I this think one. Gary Patterson's the first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, I mean, six Big Twelve championships, uh, or six conference championships amongst the Big Twelve Conference USA, uh, and then the um, the MWC they were in. But he has come into this league. TCU has fared far better in this league than I thought they would. You remember when you know them and Boise were the cute people on the outside of the BCS yep. looking in? TCU's yep. bona fides, they've proven their worth. Boise State, in my opinion, has not. Um, he's, he's, he, he gets it done. I agree. I, to me, I, again, I, I, I would have put Patterson in the elite category. I'd put Chris Peterson in the elite category, who's next on his list at Washington. I'd put David Shaw at Stanford, who took what Harbaugh built and has actually made it even better. I'd put him in the elite category. We've already talked about D'Antonio. So I think there are several coaches here that I would actually rank higher than, than a few of the coaches in this last category that he has as tier two. I, I you know, Mike, I'm, I'm, I'm even okay with Mike Gundy, who I think is a really underrated coach who just wins nine or 10 games every year with recruiting classes that frankly aren't ranked that much higher than what what's considered a developmental program like Iowa gets every single year. Uh, you look at Gus Malzahn at Auburn. I don't know. You know, I mean, some years I think he's a top 10 coach. The next year he's fired. This seems to be an every other year thing with him. We have Mark Rick there. I'm okay with him being there with what he did at Georgia and he's doing at Miami. Kirk Ferentz is there. Dan Mullen is there. I mean, Dan Mullen... Dan Mullen was number one in the country at Mississippi State, man. Are you kidding me with that? So um, I, I didn't have as much of a problem with this category. I don't. I think Clay Helton, it's way too early to put him up there. I want to see what Clay Helton does when he doesn't, have, when he doesn't hear Sam Darnold from the previous, co- from the previous head coach. So let's see what he's got. He's got to build his own program now. Kyle Whittingham, I think, actually has the best postseason record of any active college football coach right now. So I didn't have a problem with this category. My problem was, I, you know, several people in this category should be higher than several of the names we just talked about in the previous one. Well, also, and this is Mike Leach. I mean, if, if you're – that's why this is such a difficult topic. Mike how, Leach had Texas Tech number three in the nation, man. How do you define – how do you define and describe – what makes a good football coach and what makes one better than the other? I mean, is it because one's an innovator? Is it because one has success at a place that historically doesn't? Is it because one has sustains a high level of success at levels that have never been sustained before at a power school like in Alabama? All of these things are yes, 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 and yes, which makes this topic, I, I think, just so difficult to pin down because Mike Lee, does Mike... Would you put Mike Leach in, in the Steve Dace College Football Coaching Hall of Fame? No, but I think he's better. He, I, I think he's a good football coach. But, I mean, he, you're talking about a guy that could win eight or nine games at Texas Tech and Washington State. That's nothing to sneeze at. And I think the problem you have with, Le- the problem you have with Leach, his personality limits 
where he can really coach. You know, you can't. This is put the him, Steve Dace Award, not yeah. the College Football Coaches Award. Yeah, I well, his personality. You, there's a lot of really liberal campuses with speech codes and safe spaces that just aren't going to. Would students would protest in the quad having heart attacks? Because they've, 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 the snowflakes are so melted that Mike Lee went on a 25-minute rant about the Barbary Coast Pirates at his last press conference. Which okay? is and why so- I'm talking about the Steve Dace. Because the Steve Dace Awards certainly wouldn't take into account the snowflakes. No, but that's my point is he's hard to judge how good of a coach he is because he's, he's, he's limited at where he can really go. But those kinds of remote outposts like Pullman and like Lubbock, Lubbock that will tolerate his ranting probably also tolerate him coaching at a, in a, with a certain level of intensity. If you know what I'm trying to say, um, he's, he's permitted to be a certain level of hard ass in Pullman and Lubbock. You probably aren't permitted to be in Austin or Seattle, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Okay. And so I think he's a difficult coach to judge. Um, there was what, what blew me away is when you read the honorable mention paragraph underneath this tier. Honorable mention: Tom Herman at Texas. Um, okay, he's he's been a Power Five coach one year. He inherited 17 starters from 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 three consecutive top ten recruiting classes, and they went seven and six. And this um, tier is called success at the Power Five level. At the Power Five level, Houston's not the Power Five level where he was very successful. This is stupid. Dave Dorn. Dave Dorn at NC State. The NFL draft just told us last week, NC State had the most talented team in the history of the program. He went to the Sun Bowl, bro. Now, that's not you throw in all the guys that he had on this year's team just get drafted, and the junior quarterback, Ryan Finley, could be a first or second round draft pick next year. So he had all these NFL draft picks. He had a high-ranking NFL prospect at quarterback. He went to the Sun Bowl. Why is he there? And then you tell me Pat Fitzgerald is on the same tier with Dave Dorn. There is not an athletic director who's not doing hook, who's not doing lines of coke off a of hooker's ass that would that would hire Dave Dorn instead of Pat Fitzgerald. I promise you, the dude, his all his players get A's. He wins. He's won 28 games the last three years in what's been maybe the best era of Big Ten football since at least the late 90s, maybe the mid 80s. And you're telling me you think Dave Dorn is on the same tier of Pat Fitzgerald? That is seriously when you are now, you are the strung out cokehead played by Chris Rock, and I'm going to get you, sucker. And you roll into the rib shack asking, how much for one rib? That's not even thinking. There's no one of their right mind who would say Dave Dorn is the same, is on the same coach as Pat Fitzgerald. Correct me if I'm wrong. I know he's my man crush, but that's a redonkulous take, John. Dude, Chris Rock was typecast there for a while as the strung out cokehead. He was. Uh, he kind of had the base head roll all to himself for a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the next one, the Hall and Schnell. You know, it's funny you should mention that. I was telling my son today yeah. about my, my Gus Macker tournament when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. My Gus Macker team, and and we were so inspired by New Jack City. Yeah. We called ourselves, these four white boys, we called ourselves Cash Money Brothers. That was the name of our team and our Gus CMB. Macker. Well, CMB, yep. that's all we got. And, and, and I got my mom's doctor's office where she was the or clinic where she was the head nurse. The doctor sponsored our team and he got his jerseys printed up with our names on it. And they were the, the same color green that your money is. 
Mm. And we had the same font and color for our names and our numbers, like like you see on your dollar bills, yeah. right? I mean, we went all the way with it. I was telling Noah about this, and Zoe's listening in, and Zoe's like, you guys sound like a bunch of losers. <laughs> <laughs> I almost missed my dance job. Oh. Oh, gosh. Anyway, you were saying. Yeah, yeah. And you, but you're both right. You were cool and you were losers. But you were your own losers. Um, Howard Stellenberger's here. Program builders. We already talked about this. Bill Snyder's on this. I mean, I don't know. Willie Taggart of Florida State, 47-50 and 50 record. David Cutcliffe at Duke. I, I just... See, here's the thing with Willie Taggart. Okay, so Willie Taggart rebuilt Western Kentucky's football program. You're right. Okay. And then Jeff Brom took over and did better than he did. When Bill Snyder rebuilt the K-State program and he left, what happened? They hired the Fresh Prince and he sucked. And he sucked. And then when he came back, what happened? They regained success. They were good again. Yeah, what was it? Uh, am I thinking of Colin Klein? Was that quarterback dead a few years ago when they were number two in the country yeah, for a while? Yeah, something like that. Okay. And so, you know, I, I, again, I go back to the same thing. I, no, I think Willie Taggart, his personality, his love of Florida State, um, his ability to recruit, the style of football he's going to play, which you saw him do at, at South Florida, that up-tempo game with the athletes he can get in Florida, I think he's going to do great. Okay, but it's almost as bad as putting Pat Fitzgerald and Dave Doran. Right now, there is no one who would say Willie Taggart is on the same level as a head coach of Bill Snyder. No one would say that. Uh, no one will ever say that. Um, do you want to continue? I mean, this is where the point where this is just kind of wearing me out, actually. I mean, there's... Well, what did you think of where they put Ferentz? That was really the point of this. Yes. Was, uh, to, was, to, was to consider where they put Ferentz here. In the so Ferentz was number eight on the Barry Alvarez tier success at the Power Five level. And if you're going to consider the first two tiers of the first ballot Hall of Famers and the Blue Blood champions as being ranked higher than him, which, again, remember, that's you know, Lincoln Riley's on that list. Um, so it's eight. So that, that, so that would basically have Kirk at rough, roughly 16-ish or top 20. And if you ask me where I think Kirk Ferentz ranks in the pantheon of present-day college football coaches, I'd, say top, I'd probably say top 15. I mean, on, on a on a on a day, different day, I might say top ten. So somewhere around fifteen or so on this list. I, I don't have a problem with them ranking Mark D'Antonio ahead of Kirk Ferentz at all, because of what Mark D'Antonio has done in the historic perspective of this particular run at Michigan State. Got no problems with it at all, even though I'm not a fan of the guy. Uh, David Shaw has done a phenomenal job. Chris Peterson at Washington, Gary Patterson, Gus Malzahn, eh. I mean, I, I don't think I'd have I, I don't think I'd take Gus Malzahn over Kirk Ferentz like you. I like Gundy as well, and I do see similar parallels. Mark Richt had a great run uh, at Georgia, you know, a, a successful winning percentage run at Georgia. I think the Iowa job is harder than most every one of those jobs I mentioned to win at, with the exception of maybe. I mean, TCU doesn't have a, a lineage, but they're in the Dallas metro area, so they recruit, recruit consistently at a, or have an opportunity to consistently at a much higher level than Iowa. So I guess I place a greater value on um, building and development, and the counter to that would be, well, John, of course you would because your favorite school, um, that's what you are. And the, there would be truth to that. I, I think Kirk is a top 15 football coach in today's college football environment so i don't i don't i'm not too amped up about this list 
Okay. What about you? Um, other than I, I thought it actually pegged Ferentz pretty right on. And I, I, found, I found that intriguing because I thought it was so way off and wrong about much of what else it did. I mean, put it this way, in, as you were giving your thoughts on Ferentz, I was just skimming through his notes again, and the guy had to admit. Um, yeah, yeah. Had to admit that he forgot to put Paul Christ from Wisconsin on his list. Okay. Yeah. And that makes me wonder: a, do they not have editors at CBSSports.com? Nobody's like. No, they don't. You're, you're, we're, we're, we're missing a team that finished in the top seven in the country last year, and it's going to be preseason top ten this year. So, are you sure this is your final product? I mean, it's just, I don't know. I, I, I I'm trying to figure out why the the idea the concept is is good the execution was so bad how'd the same mind come up with both of these i think what you should do is you should create your own website um and we have the histor the historical aspects to it like dacepole.com right it's believe me i don't think this is going to be a money maker for you but okay. you're, you're going to do well, then by all means continue <laughs> Well, maybe, maybe it could. But daysepoll.com. And just a historical collection of these things. Because that probably is why things like that frustrate you more than they frustrate others. An omission like Chris. Because you take so much time in doing your work. And I'm sure that you've made a mistake or two along the way. But that's a pretty glaring sure. omission if you're going to make a mistake at this level. And instead of, why not just go back and put him in where he goes? I agree. Why, why do that? They're saying that, we sorry, we can't redo this, but we want yeah, to I admit mean, that we made a mistake. Okay, how about you put him probably at number four or five on this list? Drop everybody down a peg. So you got 16 instead of 15. There's no law that says you have to have 15 in the Barry Alvarez tier success at Power 5 level category that you made up yourself. That's dumb. See it? You want to? You want? You want a scorching hot take? Oh, I'll bring it! Bring it! Let me give you. That's a what this episode's been lacking. <laughs> there is a glaring omission from the elite coaching category. Oh, this is initials JH. No. Oh, okay, no. good, good. Because no. that would have no. been like so hot. I'm unplugging my mic. Hot take. So who, who who's the glaring omission? His, his initials are BA. BA Barry Alvarez. He's he's retired, but he's not really retired. Sure, so he I is. see what you're saying. Yeah, sure he is. Paul Chris was a six and six football coach at Pitt. Brett Miele, Brett Miele, Brett Bielema got crap canned, along with the athletic director at Arkansas. Gary Anderson literally walked away from Oregon State without a buyout just literally left him millions mm. of dollars in buyout money. He was so broken, so damaged. He he just, I mean, he just, he, he hit the eject, tapped out, man. Just tapped out without his buyout. Those are the coaches that have succeeded Barry Alvarez at Wisconsin. They all won double-digit games. The latter two have played for the, Bielema won Big Ten, several Big Ten championships. Chris played for the Big Ten championship last year. Won major bowl games, 
See where I'm going with this? Uh, I saw where you were going this a long time ago. And yet they've had no success. That's that, that, no, re, no really measurable success. Gary Anderson did okay um, at Utah State. But they have, they, have, they have no other measurable head coaching success at the Power 5 level before or after Wisconsin, his, his successors. And yet this program is every bit as strong as it was when he first broke through with Daryl Bevel and Brett Moss back in 1993 and went to Rose Bowl that year. That guy's your elite coach. That be that to me. That guy's right behind Meyer and and or, or Meyer and Saban. He, I'd put. I mean, he's number three on the list. Well, Tell me who's got a more dominant, dominant, and consistent record of success. We're going back to 1993 now. That's that's a quarter century. That is a quarter century. It doesn't matter who the head coach is there by name because he's running the show and has this entire time. It's his blueprint. And look how it has stood the test of time. And if anything, you could argue with the way they're positioned right now, they're as good as they've ever been in that quarter century they're of better. time period. They're better. Um, now, what type of impact do you realistically or reasonably think that he is presently having other than just follow my blueprint? Do you think that's about it, arms level? arm's reach i i think i think it is i i, I wouldn't say i don't think brett bielema's ego even for any amount of money paul chris strikes me as a guy that would put up with it maybe steve um, that that's there's the reason why brett left and anderson left well let me finish what i was going to say though i i think he's directly involved like but I, but there's no way bielema would have survived three minutes with his ego with him essentially taking direct edicts from Alvarez so what I think what it really comes down to is you know it's it's when I worked at WHO and we'd be sitting in sales meetings or marketing meetings or programming meetings and this person over here is dropping an F dropping F bombs this this person over here is complaining about corporate or this or that okay when Van Harden walked into the room, bro, everybody was just quiet. And all of a sudden, the guy in the corner who was, you know, using the F-bomb like it was conjunction, junction, what's your function, okay, looks at Van Harden and sit, would say, uh, Van, you want to pray and get us started? I mean, <laughs> he had – he, he, he just – he brought that level of gravitas into the room. And he didn't force himself on people. No, I've been around Barry Alvarez. I'm sure you have too. Him and Van Harden's personalities could not be more different. But the analogy I'm making is, you know, Van didn't tell you how to do your show. A lot of times, hell, he wasn't even listening to it. He was busy doing his own thing. But the the aura, the five Marconi Awards, the reputation that he had in that building at 2141 Grand Avenue, you just... It was like when you were going to going to grandma's house Thanksgiving, and you got you and your wife may have been fighting and arguing the whole way there, and the kids may have been brats the whole way there. When you pull into when you pull into Nana's driveway, what happens? The kids oh, are like, all, yeah, mom, you know, your wife like suddenly respects you. The kids are like suddenly deferring to you because Nana has an aura of respect that she just commands that, and I think 
there's a part at the very least I think his presence provides that you you the stuff you were you were willing to say or get away with or look the other way on when you know there's a possibility when you show up the next morning at 7 a.m. at the football offices that Barry freaking Alvarez is sitting there waiting for you you don't pull that you don't pull that crap that you might pull at Oregon State or at Pitt or at Arkansas you don't pull that there Interesting. Maybe uh, maybe that's why they didn't. The Wisconsin coaches have historically been amongst the worst paid in the Big Ten. Relative well, yeah. to success. I mean, Barry's he, doing the work. He's doing at least some of it. Yeah, yeah. They're and, gravy training off at least yeah. at the very least. They're gravy training off what he built, yeah. no doubt. And that's why he had no problem paying himself that uh, the bull coaching bonus. <laughs> one of my favorites all right uh we'll put a pause here hey this week's bigger 10 podcast which you can uh listen to very quickly just go to search your either your if you're uh, an apple person you know go to the itunes podcast app search bigger 10 t-e-n uh or if you're on like me an android guy you can do the same thing on one of your many android podcasting apps that you can choose from and that you can customize which you can't really do on an apple but that's a topic for a different day um search bigger 10 we're going to go over the over unders that you big 10 fans uh what you voted on and then we'll juxtapose what we think with some of those that's going to be this week as well and i think you hawkeye fans will also enjoy that for steve i'm john we'll talk to you soon